0: Hello again, and welcome to our Governing Health Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Peregrine. We're glad to have you with us. Today's conversation should be of great interest to both the Chief Legal Officer and members of his or her legal department as well, and also members of the Governing Board whose responsibilities intersect with legal concerns, as well as those board members who are just curious about where the law of nonprofits is headed. And that's because we're going to receive an overview of the new Restatement of the Law of Charitable Nonprofit Organizations, a very important new reference scheduled to be published shortly by the American Law Institute. All of this is great fodder for the nonprofit health systems legal team as the restatement provides useful, accessible summaries of what the contributors believe to be the state of the law. It's a great reference point for the legal team when providing advice for their internal clients. Particular benefit of the restatement is what it tells us about the evolution of the law, of trends that provide the internal legal team with a valuable perspective. What's changed and why? And for hospitals, health systems, and other charities which are created as not-for-profit corporations, that's important. And to help us walk through the highlights of the restatement, we've gone to the very top. Professor Jill Horowitz, ALI's reporter for the project. And for those of you who don't know, that's an incredibly important and time-consuming job. Professor Horowitz is the David Sanders Professor of Law and Medicine and Vice Dean for Faculty and in Intellectual Life at the UCLA School of Law. At UCLA, Professor Horowitz teaches torts, health law, nonprofit law, as well as seminars on law and economics, governance, and healthcare reform. Both a legal scholar and policy expert, Professor Horwitz is addressing some of the most pressing law and policy issues of our day, including the opioid crisis, health insurance, and healthcare markets. A highly productive scholar, she has published widely in top law reviews, health policy journals, and economic journals. Her empirical research on hospital ownership and medical service provision has won several awards. Professor Horwitz, Thanks so much for talking with us today. Thanks for having me. First, let's start with a basic question. Can you remind us all what the ALI is?
1: The ALI is itself a nonprofit organization that's dedicated toward the scholarly work of clarifying, modernizing, and improving the law. It's an organization that has an elected membership of no more than 3,000 lawyers, and that includes practicing lawyers, judges, and academics.
0: You know, looking at the time that we're all separated from our offices, even we don't have the ability to walk down and access the law firm or law department libraries like we used to, how can we access ALI documents like the restatement? Are they online and available that way or through subscription?
1: They're available online on Westlaw, LexisNexis, and you can get them by subscription on the ALI website.
0: Moving on with a little background, what's a restatement? Is there something magical about that term? Does it mean something that's different than any other kind of summary or, or trends piece?
1: Yeah, it's very different than other kinds of legal resources. So a restatement is not simply a count of different jurisdictions. What it is, is a summary and a reorganization or an organization of the law of a particular area at its best. The restatements tend to focus on traditional common law areas because it's a statutory area. You look up the code to figure out what the law is. But in these areas like charities law that draw in lots of different bodies of common law, it can be pretty confusing. And so the restatement takes this mess of law and organizes it so that the reader can understand what the law has to say.
0: Professor, how would you describe or compare the restatement against the Model Not-for-Profit Corporation Act?
1: really different, right? The Model Not-for-Profit Corporation Act or the Uniform Trust Code, these are projects that set out the law that ought to be adopted by a state. The restatement's completely different from that, right? The restatement has some black letter law, but it's set up as a summary of what the law at its best is. Then the restatement provides a commentary on that law and a series of reporters' notes that provide the underlying authority for what's in that chapter, what's in that section. So no state would adopt something like a restatement. In fact, the restatement is not the law of any particular jurisdiction. What it is, is a summary of the law at its best, sort of in the way that your law school textbook was not the law of any particular
0: jurisdiction. Well, that's great. Let's pick up on that concept. If we're talking right now to members of an in-house legal team of a large not-for-profit corporation, how would you advise them to use the restatement if they are working on an issue relating to the not-for-profit or charitable status of their organization?
1: You know, it's a great place to start with the question. The restatement is organized to cover the full lifespan of nonprofit entities. So it starts from the birth, determining what a purpose, adequate charitable purposes through the death of the organization and covers donations and standing and all these important legal questions. So if you have a question that involves some area about the birth operation or death, you could look up kind of the overview of the law in the restatement before you turn to your specific jurisdiction's law. So it kind of gives you a hint of what
0: body of law you should turn to. Going back, you said that the restatement includes commentary. Who are the authors of the restatement and what is your role as the reporter? How did this all get put together?
1: So the role of the reporter in a restatement is to provide the the material that gets debated about a subject so reporters are the ones who do the first drafts the reporters generally academics but not always so marion fremont smith was a practitioner that many of you know for many years participated in this and we drafted sections on different subjects but then We would bring those sections to a group of people, our advisors, who are members of the American Law Institute with particular expertise in nonprofit law, and we had meetings to discuss and debate the content of each section. And once we'd kind of ironed out the differences so that we thought the section really did represent the law at its best, it would go to the ALI council, which is kind of the board of directors. And then eventually to the entire membership of the ALI, which is about 3000 elected lawyers.
0: That's some process. How long did this effort take?
1: Many years. (laughs) So we did it remarkably quickly, but it was a, about a five-year process, and it's not quite out between covers yet, and that was building on a previous project, Principles of Nonprofit Law Project.
0: And I've got to ask, the difference between principles and a restatement are, or is...
1: The principles projects are generally drafted in areas where the law is not developed enough to be restated. So it gives the reporter a lot more leeway to say what the law ought to be. But in fact, nonprofit law, as you know, has been around for many, many centuries. It's just complicated, but it really was ready to be part of a restatement.
0: Well, let's pick up on your observation about complexity. Again, talking to the member of uh in-house legal department team, tell us what is it about the scope of the restatement that speaks to these complexities and what are the topics that you cover? What are the main chapters that you cover in the restatement that provides an overview of the kinds of issues that a member of an in-house team needs to consider when doing research and advising his or her internal client?
1: So one of the things that makes this a difficult subject to understand is that there are many sources of law that go into nonprofit law. So very often when somebody hears the term nonprofit, they think about a tax exempt entity, but there's an enormous area of governing state law and that is what the restatement addresses. So it's not a tax treatise. There are areas that obviously have to address some tax law, but this project is fundamentally about state law. So what state law? Trust law, corporations law, law that governs LLCs, all kinds of state law that's sometimes sort of undeveloped and we brought that all together. The second issue I think that makes It's pretty complicated to develop a nonprofit restatement is that not only are the sources of law different, but the application has to be considered in an incredibly diverse area. So you've got enormous institutions in terms of membership or institutions that are very small in terms of membership, like hospitals, but have enormous revenues. So we had to restate an area of law that applies equally, say, to a local volunteer sports team, as well as a multi-hospital system.
0: How do you balance that? I I know that that's kind of similar to the challenge that groups that have come at this before, uh, the panel on the nonprofit sector, I remember a number of years ago in their uh, list of 33 governance principles. It was a one size fits all. And that's kind of tough to do, isn't it?
1: It is tough to do, but there are you know, first principles that apply to all these. So for example, what counts as a charitable purpose under state law applies equally to the tiny nonprofit with barely any assets to the enormous multi-hospital system. And so we tried to stick to areas that really didn't differ according to size, but there are plenty of places in the restatement where we point out that the law might play out differently depending on the type of organization that's using the law. And I'd also say that the reporter's notes at the end cover all kinds of nonprofits. We tried to provide a lot of citations to different kinds of organizations so that lawyers of all types could use it.
0: Could you just speak uh, briefly to the distinction between nonprofit status, charitable status, and tax-exempt status and the relationship between the three?
1: Right, so whether you are a nonprofit entity is a matter of state law. So you can incorporate, for example, if you wanted to be a corporation, you could incorporate as a nonprofit entity in a state and not even apply for federal tax exemption. So maybe you don't have much property. You don't have profits that you need to be tax exempt. You don't have many donations. And so maybe you don't care about getting tax exempt status. You could still be a nonprofit under state law. And so there's a big difference between the tax benefits that flow from your entity status and whether you have that status yourself. So that's the first thing I'd say. Charitable entity is a subset of nonprofit entities. So as you know, there are all kinds of nonprofits. So the New York Stock Exchange was a nonprofit. The National Football League was a a nonprofit for many years. And we don't think of those typically as nonprofits. Certain kinds of HMOs are nonprofits under a, a particular section of the federal tax code. Those aren't the kinds of nonprofits that people have in mind when they think about charities. So we're really talking about what lawyers call public benefit corporations or the kinds of nonprofits that advance a particular set of purposes known as charitable
0: purposes. What are some examples of those purposes? Well, there's a a short
1: list and then a catch-all that we have in the restatement. So they're entities that relieve poverty, advance knowledge or education, advance religion, promote health, are governmental or have municipal purposes. And those are the only specifically enumerated purposes, but there's this catch-all that says other purposes that are beneficial to the community. And we purposely did not list a series of charitable purposes that pretty much anyone would think about as charitable these days, like environmental purposes or the arts, like the opera or the art museum. And we didn't list those specifically because we wanted to be clear that the concept of charity is a living concept.
0: Jill, that's an interesting observation. What were the origins of this list? How did you come about it?
1: So the list has an incredibly long pedigree. We first of all, we wanted to make sure that we were taking into account the trust restatement, which includes this list in its section on charitable trusts. But we go way back. In fact, this list, which is similar to what's found in the federal tax code, goes all the way back to 1601 to the preamble of the Statute of Elizabeth in England. And interestingly, that list itself goes further back to the William Langland poem, The Vision of Piers Plowman. And so if you compare all these sources, it's surprising the degree to which the list is similar, although there are obviously some things that have changed. So in The Vision of Piers Plowman, you can find one of the charitable ends that can get you into heaven is if you marry off maidens or make them nuns. But by the time the Statute of Elizabeth came around, it was still good charity to marry off maidens. um, But you don't want to make them nuns anymore because the Catholic Church was not so much in favor. And we've struck both of those. We have no marrying off of maidens and no making them nuns.
0: Well, that'll be a disappointment to a lot of our listeners. But one question I want to go back to, you talked about charitable trusts. And oftentimes, you know, as you and I both know, that is a legal issue in a number of states that consider not-for-profit corporations to be charitable trusts. For the lawyers listening in who may have to address certain issues relating to powers and authority and governance, can you describe briefly the distinctions between charitable trusts and not-for-profits and how those overlap a little bit, how you've addressed that?
1: One of the first questions that a new nonprofit has to decide is what kind of organizational entity it's going to be. So it has to decide... Am I going to legally be a trust? Am I going to legally be a corporation? Am I going to take on some other kind of organizational form? But pretty much all charities are corporations or trust. As a matter of historical accident, the vast majority of charities in the U.S. are actually corporations. Operating charities are corporations and not trusts. But we have decided in this project that the law of charities over time has become so similar among the two forms that we don't make any big distinction. There are obviously places where the distinction matters for legal reasons. So you would incorporate a charity under the corporate form differently than you would establish a trust under state law. So we note that in the restatement. But the governance of these two kinds of entities really doesn't differ all that much.
0: Going more to the issue of the scope and breadth of the restatement, what are some of the main topics? How do you divide up the discussion in the restatement? What are some of the key chapters that our listeners should be alert to?
1: I think that early on the chapter on purposes is obviously a critical chapter if you're thinking about establishing a new entity or to make sure you're in compliance with state law if you want to adopt new purposes. For people fairly new to the field, the chapter on governance that deals with the role of the attorney general, the role of the courts and the role of the federal government might be particularly helpful. But there's a chapter two is is a, a useful chapter for practitioners who are dealing with the everyday operations of nonprofits, because it deals with all the stuff you have to deal with during the life of a charity. So what are the duties of the board? You know, what if I'm going bankrupt? What if I want to dissolve? What if I want to merge? That's all in that governance chapter.
0: And you also spend some time, as I recall, discussing the role of the attorney generals in regulating charities and also the role of donors, don't you?
1: We talk quite a bit about the role of donors. There's a chapter about restrictions that deal with establishing restrictions, complying with restrictions, changing them. That's chapter four, has all that. And then we have a chapter on standing. So what if something goes wrong? Who gets to complain? Who does the court have to listen to? And we have taken up the traditional view that once a donor has given a donation, to a charity unless there are rights that are reserved the donor doesn't have standing to challenge what an entity does with its uh, its donated assets
0: a couple of final questions professor before we wrap this up you described this project as 5 years in the making which is an incredible amount of effort looking back on those 5 years are there any particular highlights of the process that suggest where the law of nonprofit charities is going
1: I think it's becoming more important. There are more entities that are adopting the form and the bar is beginning more and more to understand the importance and the complexity of the area. So I think I underestimated I think it actually took longer than five years. I just don't want to
0: acknowledge that. You don't want to remember that. Right. <laughs> Apart from the time and effort, what was the hardest part of the project?
1: The hardest part of the project was really just organizational in a sense. There were some tough times where there was disagreement among people, but the goodwill of the advisors and the council and the desire to work out those problems to make the law better was striking. It was one of the more exciting things I've done in my career, you know, to be able to work with practicing lawyers, then to step back and think with a broader view it was inspiring.
0: Given all that, Professor, what advice would you have to an internal legal department on how best to use the restatement as a resource for them in advising their internal clients?
1: I'm not sure I would recommend the restatement as bedtime reading for most people, but I think that. When the full thing comes out, if you deal with nonprofits in your practice, that doing a review of at least the table of contents would be a useful thing to do. I think that it can give you the big picture about, as I said, the birth, the life and the death of a nonprofit so that you understand the context in which your clients are operating. So I would say it's useful in that broad way. And then when you have particular issues, you can, you know, go and look them up in the index or look them up in the table of contents to see what sources you ought to turn to to resolve those issues. And finally, lawyers have already been using the restatement in their litigation. There isn't a whole lot of law out there, and so the restatement has been used as a legal source, and I think it can be useful in that respect. I should be careful to reiterate that it is not the law of any particular jurisdiction, but it does seem to have some persuasive authority
0: with judges. So it is appropriate for an assistant general counsel to cite the restatement and advice that he or she is providing to the chief legal officer or ultimately the board, that that's an appropriate thing from the reporter's perspective. That's a part of what you intended to be used for.
1: The main traditional audience for restatements is the courts, right? And so, in fact, when when I've taught torts before... Sometimes I'll teach a case that one in particular I can think of, but you can find it all over the place where judges cite state statutes and then they cite the restatement and they go with the restatement, which is, you know, not particularly democratic, but often the restatement makes more sense than the statute does. So what judges are willing to do with it is, it can sometimes be quite extraordinary. On the other hand, most judges will use the restatement to help understand an area overall or help interpret a statute. And in that respect, I think it's completely appropriate to use a restatement to give advice.
0: There you go. Professor Jill Horwitz of UCLA and the new AOI Restatement of the Law Charitable Nonprofit Corporations. Professor, thank you so very much for spending the afternoon with us today. Thank you. UCLA Laws Professor Jill Horwitz has given us a valuable perspective on where not-for-profit corporation law is going. As the reporter for the new ALI Restatement of the Law Charitable Nonprofit Organizations, Professor Horwitz has given us an example of the scope of this important new publication the topics it covers, the relevance it provides to the areas of nonprofit charitable law that are of most interest to nonprofit hospitals and health systems, and also provides us with some very useful suggestions on how best to use this wonderful resource in our respective research on behalf of our health system clients. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of Governing Health be sure to subscribe to the full complimentary podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube, as well as through the McDermott website. There you'll be able to stay up to date with all our future episodes and to re-listen to the old ones. Until then, this is your host, Michael Peregrin, saying thanks for listening.
1: This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott, Will & Emery and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of the consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2020, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication without the prior written consent of McDermott, Will & Emery is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.